Blessed be the name of the Lord. When the sun is shining down on me, we just sang. When all the world is it should be, and when it isn't, right? Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that you deserve praise when the sun is shining or when the rain is falling. When we feel good and when we suffer. You deserve our praise. And Father, this morning, we give our time this morning that You will be lifted up and our praise will be directed towards You. In Jesus' name, Amen. How many of you like the dark? Honestly, you just like being in the dark. We sang about the darkness. Nobody? Tim likes the dark. Dylan likes the dark. Well, I like the dark because that means I can just turn, toss and turn that much longer, right? Close your eyes. Let's begin with a little bit of an exercise here. You're in the dark, right? Not all your eyes are closed, but that's okay. But you're in the dark. But you're not really in the dark because you know in your mind all you have to do to be out of the dark is to open your eyes. Okay, you can open them. You knew that the darkness was temporary. Now, I think most of you have experienced what it's like at night when you're trying to do something in the dark and all of a sudden the electricity goes off. How many of you have experienced that? If you haven't, move to Perry County, okay? (laughs) Because you will. Specifically, Monday Creek Township. The first thing we do when the lights go out is we start... We, we, we stop, we freeze, and we try to think, okay, where am I? And then we try to remember where things are, right? So we start, we start feeling for something. And if it's really dark, you have to feel. You let your eyes adjust if they can. And so you head over to the couch or your favorite easy chair. You sit down in the chair. You put your feet up. You cross your arms. And you just wait for the lights to come back on, right? We don't. We're groping in the darkness, trying to find something that will give us some light so that we can find a larger light that we can illuminate our surroundings. It's amazing how much a single match, how much light it produces. Probably most of you are trying to think, well, where did I put my phone? Okay, that's, you know, typically how we find light. So that is, we're, we're, that groping in the darkness is not fun, is it? It's not pleasant. Last week, Darren Peachy reminded us of the pre-creation world in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The actual Hebrew word of hovering means like quivering. It was almost like this this sense of anticipation. Something great is going to happen. So the Holy Spirit is just hovering over those dark waters, waiting for something to happen. There was no beauty. There was no form. Just darkness. But even in that darkness, God was there. In Psalm chapter 48, it's an incredible chapter, 
And what the, what the writer does, it's near the end of the, the Psalms. It's in, praise the name of the Lord. We sang about it. Bless the name of the Lord. But just listen to these, these things that the writer gives us to praise. Praise Him in the highest heavens. Praise all His angels, all His hosts, sun, moon, and shining stars, the highest heavens, waters above the heavens, the sea creatures and all the deep, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling His Word, all the hills, the fruit trees, the cedars, all the livestock, all creeping things, all flying birds, and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children, praising God. The very last verse of Psalm 150, which is the last of the Psalms, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But think about that creation. As the Spirit hovered over the waters and then all of a sudden, boom, something happened. Darkness was gone. God said, let there be light. That was day one of creation. On the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created them. Male and female, He created them. But then the serpent... It's interesting, in the book, The Annals of the World by Bishop Usher, who lived in the 1500s and 1600s, after his death, a book was published that he had written in 1658. And he had determined in all of his studies that the fall of Adam and Eve likely occurred on the same day they were created. I don't know how, but that's what he came to the con- that was his conclusion. Think of that. The same day that God said, let us make man in our image, Satan entered the garden. He deceived Eve and Adam. And the world went dark. The sun still shone. The stars and the moon still shone in the night sky. But the world became dark. But it was a darkness of a different type. And then as they were forced to leave the garden, the first person ever born as a baby on this earth that God had created killed his younger brother. Not a good start. But thankfully, God was there in the darkness. And he had a plan. One that Peter, John, and Paul tell us, tells us that his plan was from the, before the foundation of the world. Before God ever spoke light into existence. Before the Spirit hovered over the waters, God had it all figured out. His plan was in place, just ready to be on display. And it has been a mystery since creation. We're told that it was hidden for for ages and generations, and it's now revealed to us, the saints. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, 
verses 8 through 10. And Paul here is writing about this mystery, that this mysterious plan that God had put in place before the foundation of the world. He brought things to light. He created everything and he said it was very good. And then darkness fell. But his, stand, his plan was still in place. A mystery is something that does exist and can be known, but it has not yet been fully revealed. How many of you know what a radio is? They still have radios? Good. They use radio waves. When did man figure out how to make radio, radio waves? Marvin, do you know the year? They were always there. They were always here. God, at the dawn of creation, radio waves were in existence. But it wasn't until just a couple hundred years ago that man, we actually discovered them. You see the brilliance of God's plan? It always laid there. It was just a mystery. And now we don't even think about it. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul tells us that this mystery was made known to him by revelation. Never in all the generations before had it been revealed. Prophets and angels had longed to look into it. And they received little bits and pieces here and there, but the mystery still remained. And then Isaiah prophesied, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And we know that that speaks of the Lord Jesus. He was, we sing the song. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is who? Jesus is the light of the world. But He is not the mystery that was to be revealed. The mystery is you. In verse 6 of chapter 3, Paul writes, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. The mystery is, is that Gentiles and Jews have been brought together in Christ as one body. And then in Colossians chapter 1, he talks about, it unveils more of this mystery. This sacred mystery, which up to now has been hidden in every age and every generation, but which is now as clear as daylight to those who love God, they are those to whom God has planned to give a vision of the full wonder and splendor of His secret plan for the sons of men. And the secret is simply this. Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. You remember the theme of Ephesians, of the book of Ephesians, is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. The plan to unite all things in Him, in Christ, things in heaven and things in earth. Everything, all of creation, will be brought out of the darkness and will be encompassed by Christ, in Christ, united in Him. 
The plan from the very beginning has to been has been to unite all things. Now think of us as individuals for a moment. We are united to Christ when we become born again as individuals. We become regenerated, we're renewed, we're reclaimed, but the plan is larger than just individual people. The gospel is preached to individual people. Individual people make a decision to follow Christ. We are saved as individuals. We will all stand before God as individuals to give an account of how we lived our lives. We say, and it is absolutely true, that God has no grandchildren, only children. We don't become a child of God because of the faith of our parents, but of our own. And sadly, I think too many times we think of of salvation, of what God has done as, as an individual thing. It is individual, but the mystery is more than that. Michael Reeves, in his book, Gospel People, states, and he, this is a quote, he says, evangelicals, and he defines an evangelical as one who are good, people who are good news people. People who are of the good news. So evangelicals are people who have been born again. But to be born again is to be born or baptized into Christ. From the moment of our regeneration, we are part of a bigger whole. The body of Christ. Romans 12.5 tells us, So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. See what's happening? It's not just about individuals. Galatians 3 tells us how in Christ we are united as one body. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are one body united in Christ. To be united is to be a part of something bigger, larger, grander than ourselves. This morning we all find ourselves to be in Monday Creek Township, Ohio, which is part of Perry County, Ohio, which is part of the state of Ohio, which is one of the 50 states of the United States of America, which is part of the North American continent, which is part of the world, which is part of the universe. So we are a part but we gain significance when we become part of the larger. Paul describes us this way. In verse 19, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers. A stranger is a foreigner, a person who doesn't belong there. And he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens. An alien is a temporary resident. But you are fellow citizens with God's, with the saints and members of the household of God. Notice how he starts big and he brings it smaller. You're strangers, you're outsiders, you're unknowns. And then you become aliens. So now you're your temporary residents. And then you become a citizen. You're brought into that body in a closer relationship. 
And then you become members of a household, a family. And what is so amazing, so mysterious about this household, this family, is that I am actually closer in a relationship with somebody on the other side of the world, on the other side of the world, who doesn't speak my language. We cannot communicate verbally. We have a completely different culture. We, we know nothing about one another except one thing. I am closer to them than I am to my next door neighbor who doesn't know the Lord Jesus as of yet. Isn't that amazing? Somebody we have no idea, but when we meet, there is something that draws us together as part of that one because we are one in Christ. That is a mysterious thing for sure. United to Christ and united in Christ. So this thing, this united thing, is called, in verse 10 it tells us, the church. And now we can see the grander mystery, this mysterious plan of God unfolding. We have all of these I's and me's, these individuals, these single things that are brought together to unity in Christ for a reason. Paul writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God. The wisdom of God in its rich diversity or rich variety. God, as we know, is not a plain God. He loves diversity. Just look outside. All of the different kinds of trees, the different kinds of grasses, flowers, stars, everything is, is different. And He loves it all. He made it all. He is a God of, in His wisdom of rich variety. And so the church, this united group of individual people who are in Christ, display are to display His great wisdom, His great diversity. Now when was the last time you thought, thought about yourself and your faith and your fellowship as being a witness to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? So you walk out tomorrow morning, you know, ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? So you got it right from the very beginning. You're thankful, and you head outside. And you look at the sky, and you say, are you watching? I'm on display today. We might think about how we live a little bit differently, right? So how are we, how do we display God's rich variety of wisdom that is noticeable to the heavenly beings? Two ways. The first we've already talked about. Our individual walk. How we live. The angels in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter is speaking of this salvation and he reminds us that the prophets of old, they searched the Scriptures trying to learn the when and the how that this would come to be. And then Peter says that even the angels long to look into these things. 
for all these centuries, millennia, angels have been, and here's the word, stooping to look. It's like they're, they're looking over the edge of the universe and they're watching, trying to see how is God's plan going to be unfolded? How will it work? But the angels saw many of their own fall because of rebellion. In Revelation, we looked at the verse this morning how when the dragon fell, his tail, he swept a third of the angels with him. Those are the demons. They are destined for the lake of fire. There is no means of rescue for them. They existed in the very presence of God from their creation, and they rejected that. And there's no hope beyond that. The angels watched as God created man in his own image, and he watched them reach out and take that fruit in disobedience. And they watched as the firstborn son, Cain, would kill his younger brother, Abel. And they watched later as, as sin became so rampant and humanity so depraved that God wiped out everything that had breath. Yesterday, Ruth and I were at one of my cousin's funerals. He was 72. It was our second funeral of the week. And it was interesting talking to other people who were there. Some of them, it was their second funeral of the day. It almost seems, and you have to ask yourself, when the angels witnessed all of this, does everything that God creates, is it destined for failure? Is it simply going to always be darkness? Well, we know the answer to that, don't we? Because the mystery has been revealed. It's been released and we understand it. We see it. The answer is obviously no. The glory of God, the glorious manifold wisdom of God is on display in the universe. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that the hardest thing that God ever faced or will ever face is man's sin. He says, how can a righteous, holy God deal with sinners without destroying them? How can He be merciful and show love without coming into complete conflict with His justice? It's either one or the other, it would seem. But His manifold wisdom declares to all creation, including the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, that He Himself will pay the price. He Himself will satisfy His justice that He demands. And in so doing, He will extend His great mercy to His fallen creation. It makes absolutely no sense. It was hidden for generations, but it has now been revealed. It is amazing beyond belief what God has done. And these angels are absolutely amazed, in my mind at least, at how this God, he, he was, He continues to woo people. These fallen human 
creatures back by His Spirit. The propensity for sin lies within each one of us. We sing the song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. They see it. They see the world. And even as they watch us fight temptation every single day, we don't throw in a towel. We don't say, I've had enough. We continue to fight as forgiven people and as forgiving people. Not such as an individual. The second aspect of God's manifold wisdom that is so amazing to those in the heavenly realms is how He, how God takes all of these and He binds them together in one solitary bundle. Twisted, gnarled, squirming, sometimes elbowing each other, and He makes them into one beautiful work of art. And they just scratch their heads and they can't believe it. So here we are this morning. We're individuals and we're a bundle, like last time a bundle of sticks. And I'm assuming you're having a great time. Some of you don't look like it, but that's okay. But what about tomorrow? You know, to get along with saints above, oh, that'll be glory. To get along with saints below, well, that's another story. It was brought up in our elders' meeting on Tuesday night that since we now have such a vast array of possibilities to listen to Sundays at Turkey Run, we even have Zoom capabilities. Well, not technically, but we could if we wanted to. Why do we even even need to get together anymore? We could easily just just as easily stay home and have login Sundays. That would work, wouldn't it? Just think of all the savings. How much easier it would be. There's no need to dress up. You wouldn't waste any gas. You'd be saving the planet. You wouldn't even need to brush your teeth. Maybe you don't need to anyway, but it's probably a good idea. And we certainly wouldn't need a building project, would we? It's interesting, yesterday at my cousin's funeral, the church that they attended, the chapel in Marlboro, I remember when, as a, as a teenager when that church was built. And my cousin Galen was on four, he led four building committees in four building projects that that church had. It's a big church. And the pastor, as he spoke, he was on that committee as well, and he said he can't wait to get to heaven because he wants to make sure that if there's any building going on in heaven, he wants to be on Galen's committee. <laughs> there will be building in heaven. I hope. So why do, we, why do we need to be here on a Sunday morning? We could just as easily stay home in our EG chair and just tune in, right? But it wouldn't be the same. It couldn't be the same. It wasn't meant to be the same. That's not how God designed it. In His grand manifold wisdom, He meant us to be together as one. Our gathering this morning 
is a witness. It's a witness to the world. It's a witness to the heavenly beings. Every car in that parking lot this morning is a witness. Now be careful. Don't think that you're doing fulfilling the Great Commission by parking your car in the church parking lot. That's, it's a witness, but it's not the witness that we're supposed to be engaged in completely, right? I told the elders this week that the building project, in my mind, shows everyone that passes by something is happening there that they need to build on. I was reminded of the story of David and Goliath as he, as he spoke, as he shouted to Goliath and the Philistines who were behind him. And he was declaring to them, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut your head off and you're all going to be routed. Why? To show how powerful he was? No. He said, so that the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. His goal was is so that everybody would know that God is the one who deserves the glory. But there's a downside to this oneness, this thing called church, of us being together if we're not careful, that we need to guard against. Paul describes this to the Philippian church in chapter 1 of the book to that church. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you in person or whether I am absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. That first line, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting, in the Greek I understand that that means live as citizens. Why would Paul say that? Why would he write that to the Philippians? It's interesting. They knew exactly what he meant when he said that. Philippi, their city, was a Roman colony. A free colony. A little bit of Rome in the outside world. The language was different. The culture was different. Paul is saying, you know full well the privileges, the responsibilities of being a Roman citizen. You know full well how even in Philippi, so many miles from Rome, you must still live and act as Rome does. And so he reminds them that you have a higher calling. You are a citizen of another city, the heavenly city. Just as you are a resident in this colony outside of the Roman Empire, you have a reputation to keep. You have a, to live your life worthy of being a Roman. So now you as a Christian live a life that is worthy of that heavenly kingdom. And then Paul says that I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Something tells me that this isn't always easy. The angels have good reason to stoop and to watch. Proverbs chapter 27, 17 tells us Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you know what happens when you use iron to sharpen iron? You get sparks. It takes humility. 
So as we work and as we live together, there will be sparks. And if we're afraid of sparks, we'll never sharpen our knife and we'll struggle to be effective in our Christian life and witness. Paul says contending or striving side by side, it requires effort. And often it requires lots of it. But Paul tells us that we are contending not for the right to be right or not for our rights or to be first, but for the gospel. The good news of life in Christ. As someone has said, keeping first things first. There are things, there are issues, there are beliefs, there are opinions, there are doctrines that are not first things. That doesn't mean that they are unimportant. It just means that they are secondary to the gospel. And sadly, it's largely those secondary things that divide us. The Puritan Richard Sibbs, who died in 1635, wrote, What a joyful spectacle it is to Satan and his faction to see those that are separated from the world fall to pieces among themselves. Our discord is the enemy's melody. You remember last week or last time, R.C. J.C. Ryle, the quote I gave, keep the walls of separation as low as possible and shake hands over them as often as you can. Because the angels are watching. They are watching God's grand, His manifold wisdom on display. And it's us. They're watching us. How we live as individuals and how we live as a body together. So this morning we have a high calling. And I'd like for us to close by standing and reading together a few verses from, three verses from Hebrews chapter 12. And this is a declaration. This is a promise. This is a prayer. Let's read this together and then Jim will come and lead us in our communion service. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart.